I got to tell you, that's the coolest trailer I think our team has made, you know? <clears throat> I saw that. Zach put that together. I saw that last week. I said, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> so um, if a friend of yours would say to you, hey, would you explain like the Bible to me? How many of us would be able to do that, all right? Or if you're, if you're a grandchild or whatever. And so that's really what this series is meant to do. By the time you've been to all 19 weeks, now through, the, through August, you'll be able to, to talk through the Bible with someone, start to finish, over five to ten minutes, and help it make sense to see what kind of a story it is and the thread that runs through that. And so I'm super excited about this series. And we're going to jump right in. The, the title of today's uh, message, repeat after me, Creation Gets Flooded. Because that's what we're going to talk about. And you'll have to bear with me because you're going to get uh, large doses of theology in rapid fire, kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. And so you're going to get a bunch of theology today. And this is all going to come together and come home up close and personal before the message is over. So don't check out on me, okay? Turn to your neighbor and just tell them, keep paying attention. All right? So let's jump right in. And if you've been here very long, you have heard me say this before. Uh, the first point, you can follow along in the CLC app, the outline is there, is simply, would you say with me, good job, God. All right, say it. And that's what David must have said when he went out on one starry night. You know, he was a shepherd as a kid when he grew up and a teenager before he became king. Wrote several uh, works in the Bible, many of the Psalms, the, the poetic writings. And he said in Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Who may you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And David was just in awe and marveling at all that God has made. And I have often said, I can just see a beautiful scene in, in, in creation and just say, wow, good job, God. We did a series a couple of years ago on the different ways that people experience God's presence. We're all wired kind of differently. And one of my key ways of just sensing God and drawing close to Him is indeed by being out in creation. And so I thought, you know, I'll illustrate my own good job, God perspective. Um, I just pulled out a handful of shots uh, that are on my iPhone in, my, in my, uh, my cloud photos. And the first one is just a beautiful scene of the aspen trees in Colorado. In fact, these next couple shots are Colorado. This one, rather than the grandiose uh, landscape, this also was just a beautiful, look at the, the intricacy of that flower uh, that was in Colorado. All the, and somebody who knew botany could explain all the parts of that and how that pollinates itself. The next shot also is there. It's in a, a birch tree forest. And uh, on some of the trees, if you look closely, there were bear claw marks where they were climbing up the tree, um, chasing tourists, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the other side of the world, Africa. This river runs through one of our in-community, by-community, ICBC uh, church homesteads. And then let's go to Israel. This is a shot I took uh, of the Sea of Galilee. You can see across the, the sea, a, a place where much of the New Testament took place. Here's a shot from Zion National Park when Joyce and I were there just this past fall. Uh, and I took that picture. That's pretty good. iPhone. 
the next one is also out there. Uh, it was in Arizona in, Fe- in uh, Antelope Canyon. You walk through all these amazing uh, canyon rock formations. And this also was out there, Horseshoe Bend. You, when you walk up and just look down and finally see that, you just go, oh, I mean, just spontaneous. Good job, God. Uh, the next one is up close and personal. Lily's in our home. I think it's in our kitchen. And uh, this one is the Potomac River uh, downstream from Washington, D.C. on a cloudy day. And this last one is, uh, ah, right, the beach, the sunset. Good job, God. Um, and, of course, beaches, uh, you know, when the sun is not setting when it's out, how many ever got a, a nice big sunburn on the beach? All right. Yeah, been there, done that. I uh, got a sunburn just uh, on my day off fri- Friday doing lawn work, and so that's prompted me to tell a story. Um, we had Jonathan and his wife over for dinner, and I was telling them enjoy. So when I was in college, uh, three college buddies of mine and I, with four of us, went on spring break to Clearwater, Florida. Load up in one of our guys' Bronco. We were camping, took a tent, uh, which is not a way to enjoy Florida, but anyways. Uh, we went to this campground. The guy stuck us at the back of the campground. We're literally in an orange grove, okay, and the sand is kicking in the tent. So anyways, first day out on the beach, we got burned to a crisp. I mean, we looked like lobsters. In fact, at dinner that night, the waitress couldn't help but laugh and say, you look like lobsters. We're beet red, right? And so all night long, people are kind of snickering at, you know, the four college students who are burned, burned up. And so we found ourselves that night in a convenience store, and the clerk said to us, you guys are, oh, yeah, right. Everybody's telling us all night long. She goes, well, you know what will take the burn away? Sour cream. So we went to the thing, and we bought huge containers of sour cream, and we went back to our tent, and we laid in our sleeping bags, burning up, sand, nice and gritty, great feeling, and we coated ourselves in sour cream. And my one buddy, Dave Reeves, said, I feel like we're baked potatoes. (laughs) Now, the other side of that story is somewhere, there is a convenience store worker saying, I remember back in the 70s, these four college students came in. I convinced them sour cream would help their sleep because it did nothing for us. (laughs) <laughs> Joyce, Joyce did offer I got some chip dip <laughs> but then aloe vera did help so anyways good job God it wasn't his fault I got sunburned uh, let's talk about 10 true words these words are true these words must be true and they can be supported but not proven and it takes a leap of faith to believe them but I believe that all of Scripture hinges on the truth of these words. It's the very first 10 words of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That speaks several things. It speaks to uh, the supernatural tone. It sets the supernatural tone of the Bible. In the beginning, God, that's the first assumption. In the beginning, God, then he created the heavens and the earth. He spoke them into existence. And you might say, well, that's a pretty big leap. It is a leap, but it's a leap of faith to not believe that. It's a leap of of faith to believe that in the beginning there was nothing and how something, somehow something by nothing by chance turned into everything. I take the leap of faith in the beginning God created. And so then as we go on a little little farther, uh, verse 2, the earth was formless and void. What's formless and void? Maybe a gas? And here's the deal. I believe that scientists are grasping around the edges of truth 
we'll all know fully when we get to heaven, all right, and we have that aha moment, but they're grasping around the edges of truth, and you hear scientists talk about, you know, in the beginning, you know, the world may have been some gaseous state of whatnot. Well, the Bible says it was formless and void. It doesn't say how long it was that way, because the seven days are going to start here. And, and, and darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So at one point, it was maybe a gaseous state that was then all water. And, and understand that between creation and then the flood, again, scientists tell us that water had much to do with the formation of the earth and the movement of tectonic plates and creating mountains and all those kinds of things, okay? I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, grass, you're getting at, at that. The Bible affirms that, because if you jump, it's not in their notes, um, but you want me to write this down. 2 Peter 3, 5, Peter says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So there's something there. And we're going to talk in a moment about the flood, uh, and when I do, you say, you really believe that stuff? Of course I do. How else do you explain sea fossils on the top of Mount Everest? Just a thought. So, uh, then God said, verse 3, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And it goes through that day after day after day after day, and we see how God creates. Let me, though, pull a few more verses out of chapter 1. Again, we're doing the whole Bible in 19 weeks, so we're not going to linger long in any particular place. But again, this is to push back against what is wrongly accepted as fact. Uh, evolution is a theory that's all it's ever been. And one of the things that Darwin assumed would be proven with later research that has not happened in more than a century later is that, that scientists would find what's called transitional forms, which is from... because. The, the theory believes you go from some primordial ooze to some sort of an aquatic animal, and that eventually morphs into some sort of a land animal that crawled around, which then became some kind of a, a more developed land animal and birds and all that. And the, and the transitional forms, nobody has found a half-amphibious, half-walking animal or a half-land, half-bird. And Darwin assumed that those transitional forms would be found. They are still nada. Okay? So with that in mind, look at what the Bible says. In verse 11 of Genesis 1, Then God said, say, then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind. Say, after their kind. With seed in them, and it was so. God created the great sea creatures. Every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed. Say, after their kind. And every winged bird. Say, after their kind. And God saw it was good. Verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth. And the cattle, you are a quick study today. I'm really proud. And everything that creeps on the ground. And God saw that it was good. Take all that after its kind part and then jump to 1 Corinthians 15, 39, where Paul says, all flesh is not the same flesh. There is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another flesh of fish. We did not start in the ooze and become humanity. We did not evolve into that. Each flesh is its own flesh after its own kind because that's how God created in the beginning when he said, let there be. So, with that said, creation 
And you get to the end of Genesis 1, by the way, is your purpose-driven life. God gave you a purpose. He gave you something to do, responsibility. We are to live productive lives, but that's a whole other sermon. Creation matters throughout the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, Romans 1, 20, His invisible attributes, things we don't see about God, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. Let's stop there, for they are without excuse. Those of you that, like, watch the Food Channel, how do you know something is, like, Latin food compared to French food? Can you tell the difference? Nod your head, or you don't watch the channel, all right? All right? Bobby Flay likes to do stuff. That's my favorite show, Beat Bobby Flay, all right? Um, but Bobby Flay, you can tell because, in fact, you can tell Bobby Flay's food because they have Bobby Flay blind t- taste test against another chef, right? And Bobby's always the one when they're critiquing the dish that is spicy. There's a bite to it. There's a whatever to it, okay? The other chefs, not so much. They're always going to say, oh, this has a kick to it. This is a little hot. This is whatever, okay? How do I know that? Because Bobby Flay has a, pre- has a predominance for spicy food, and he puts some of himself in what he makes. You can see the creator in the creation. You compare uh, BMWs to Japanese vehicles, Toyotas, you can see differences because of the mindset, because of the creators. You can see something of the creator in the creation. You can go and critique art, and a Van Gogh is very different from a Monet, and when you study them, you can tell the difference because the creator puts something of themselves is reflected in what they create. Well, guess what? In the, God's invisible attributes are seen in what he has made. And just those scenes you saw before, we know he is a God of majesty and a God of power, but also a God of serenity and peace. And he's in the details. And he's a God who is intricately cares. All that because of what he's made. And then verse 25 says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So let's consider the human disaster. Say the human disaster. So you go back to Genesis, and he created Adam, created Eve, and verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Let's stop there for a second. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. It is paradise. Imagine being in perfect harmony with yourself. The word anxiety, insecurity, guilt, shame, arrogance make no sense to you. They have no meaning because you've been in perfect harmony with you. Imagine likewise being in perfect harmony with your spouse, with others, relationally. The word envy, competition, frustration. Perfect harmony with God. Shame and guilt, confusion, perfect harmony with your environment. That's where Adam and Eve were living in, and that is the Garden of Eden existence that God put them in, and he gives them one thou shalt not. Verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. It's the one restraint he puts on them. And then we fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. 
How many of you know when somebody says don't, something about our nature says, like right now, don't think about ice cream at all. Don't. Don't do it. Especially not black raspberry chip. In fact, you'd have to get by with one dip, you get one dip free right now. I know that as of 12 hours ago. <laughs> don't think about ice cream. What are you thinking about? Ice cream. All right. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, which is, uh, represents Satan, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. He didn't say that. But he's good at twisting things. He's good at confusing you. He's good at getting you to second-guess your convictions. I won't ask for a show of hands, but we have all second-guessed our convictions. We have all second-guessed our thou shalt not because we have all sinned. In order to sin, we had to override the thou shalt not. And so he says to Eve, did God say? And the woman, the woman, the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She ate it. Took a bite. The very thing that God said not to do she did. How many of you have done the very thing God said not to do? Okay, I'm going to re-ask that. <laughs> because the answer is you. Yes. How many of you ever did the very thing God said not to do? Yeah, multiple occasions, multiple ways. And so uh, that is what is called the fall of man. They fell from their privileged, sinless place. They fell from that place of perfect harmony with themselves, with each other, and with God. And you can watch it. I mean, boy, talk about the blame game. When, when God holds them accountable, Adam, courageous husband that he is, says, well, Lord, the woman that you gave me did this. He's trying to throw God and Eve under the bus. Tension. This way. This way. And so then there is what's called the curse. There's a consequence to what they've done. And we see it in verse 14 as God addresses Satan. It says, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, say because. There is always a because for your sin. Nobody else might see it. Some of you are living in the because of your sin right now. You sinned and because of your sin, here are the consequences. God will forgive you of your sin, of the eternal because. Your sin will not separate you from him in heaven, but he does not often separate us from the practical because we still have to live out the consequence of our sin. And so he says to him, because you have done this, cursed are you more than the cattle, more than every beast of the field, etc., etc. And then let me read for you a verse that is not on the screen because it's a verse of great hope. See, now, if I was God, I'm glad I'm not, and you should be really glad I'm not. I would say to Adam and Eve, you messed it up, fine. I had it perfect for you. I'm done with you. Go to hell. Literally. Wouldn't you? Oh, no, you'd be better. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> well, I just, if I was God, I'd have said it to me anyway. But, but he didn't. 
from the very moment they fell, God loved us so much, you are going to see the first mention of Jesus Christ who's going to come and be their Savior. You're going to see the thread that runs all the way through Scripture. And, and in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, listen up. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, her descendants, He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. If you have a choice, would you rather take a blow to the heel or a blow to the head? Best shot Satan's got is to wound us. But through the descendants of Eve, through her seed, that's why in the Bible, in the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a... Well, that yeah, but she was a virgin. But that verse says born of a woman. Say woman. Do you see why that's so important? Because in Genesis 3.15, God is saying, there is coming a day when the seed of, of, when my son, through the seed of Eve, through a woman, that's why Matthew chapter 1 is so important, all the begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, God is showing, I keep my promises because from Eve all the way to Mary, now my son Jesus is born of a woman of her seed, and he is going to deal a death blow to Satan. That's why the passion of the Christ at the opening of the movie, Jesus is praying in the garden and he's walking along that path and you see this sandaled foot crush the head of a snake. Mel Gibson is trying to say, this is Genesis 3.15, come to life. So from the moment we sang about his amazing grace, do you realize how amazing it is? Moments after Adam and Eve trashed paradise, he's saying, well, I'm going to make a way back for you. I'm going to bring a path of redemption for you. And talk about the because of sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Thank you, Adam and Eve, but I can't get mad at them because if they hadn't done it, I'd have done it. If the human race were sinless until now, until Stan Tharp was born, October 14, 1956, it'd be sinful then. And death through sin. So death spread to all men, say because. Because all sinned. What an incredibly, because of sin that is. Because of sin we have death. Because of sin we have disease. We have suffering. We have injustice. We have injustice. We have heartache. We have pain. We have insecurity. We have fear. We have guilt. We have shame. We have all of that because of sin. Romans 3.23, another because. Read this out loud with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just for fun to make sure you're getting it, let's replace the word all with I. Ready? For have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're not a Christian yet, that verse should make you very anxious because sin, the Bible says, separates us from God. And if you don't do something about that separation in this life, you'll be separated in the, in the, the afterlife for eternity. It's called hell. Romans 3.23, or Romans 3, 6.23, sorry. Read this one out loud because this is great news. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God because sin brings death. 
I mean, God told them, Satan even said, will you really die? Well, not physically, literally in that moment. All of us are evidence of that, that all of us have sinned. All of us have evidence that we didn't die in that moment from our sin, but we invite spiritual death into our life unless something, someone comes to save us from that, and that's what Jesus did. So that's the human disaster. Now let's look at the side effects of sin. Let's go a little deeper into that. Genesis chapter 4 Adam and Eve, they are expelled from the garden, and so they go on with life. They start a family. They have several children. We don't know how many, uh, but we know they had a couple of sons named Cain and Abel. And uh, talk about sibling rivalry, and some of you parents have lived with the pain of your kids not getting along with huge animosity and angst. Well, that had to be the case here. Verse 8, Cain told Abel, his brother, about the hatred between them. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. You talk about family division. You talk about parental devastation. Those of you that are parents, can you just imagine for a moment one of your children murdering another one? The unthinkable grief that you would feel, first of all, and have on behalf of that child that was murdered, and then the anger that you have toward that child, at the same time, the love and the what did you do that for toward that child? I mean, you talk about an emotional roller coaster that doesn't go away. And things went from bad to worse because you go just a couple chapters later, and we see that. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm going to stop there for a second. The earth got so polluted with sin and evil that the Bible says God regretted having made mankind. And it says the world was filled with violence. When you go back and read that description, it sounds scarily familiar. And, and God said, I am going to destroy all life. I'm going to do a, a divine do-over. I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to kill off all the evil. There's one righteous man. And Genesis 6, verse 8 says, but Noah found favor. Say he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, too often today, we hear people like me and what I do equate favor with, and God gave him a mansion, and he gave him a Lexus chariot, and he gave him whatever, okay? Just, just favor, right? You want know to know what Noah's version of finding favor was? Hey, Noah, whatever you had planned for the next several decades, scrap it, because you're going to build a ship called an ark. And if you know where Noah was in the Middle East, there was no big body of water. He, his first question would have been, God, what's a ship? What's an ark? And what is the, what's it going to be for? Well, it's going to be a floating zoo. I like going to the zoo, but I'm sure I'd like it less if I went to the zoo and picked up the droppings from the inhabitants of the zoo. They would become floating zookeepers. That is not a job out you could pay me to do. My wife would go. She loves animals, right? She, I, 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 you couldn't pay me? She goes, like that. So, and so you and your family are going to do this. Hey, boys, Shem, Ham, Japheth, three sons, come here. God spoke to me. Really, Dad, what did he say? Well, we got a job to do. Great, what's the job? I found a favor. Wonderful. We're going to build a ship. A what? 
They build this incredible ark, and there's a life-size version of it down in Kentucky. And, and then God divinely causes all of the animals to come in two by two. You believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Why do you believe that? Because the Bible's a miraculous book. It's supernatural. And if I could believe in the beginning God created, I could certainly believe that in the beginning God prompted everything he created to have two of them come on the ark. And, and so the last verse of that chapter, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. And those of us that would like to fancy ourselves as righteous people, and many are, it's, God, you say it, I'm doing it. It's no. Did God really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? Is it really that important? Do I really have to do that? And we rationalize ourselves down to compromised obedience so easily, so quickly. No, the thing that made Noah stand out is that God said, I want you to scrap your plans. Okay. I want you to do something you never did before. Okay. It's not going to be fun or easy. Okay. It's unfamiliar territory. Okay. And then I'm going to flood the world. Okay. And then you come out and you have a horrendous cleanup after that. Okay. Noah was a righteous man. And uh, God's remedy for a messed up world usually involves what he's going to do through a righteous person. Then and now. God's remedy for what he wants to do. How many of you are living in a messed up, unrighteous world? God's remedy for what he wants to do to address that unrighteous, messed up world you're living in is largely through righteous people who just raise their hand, who will hear from God, who will be obedient to God, and who will do what God calls them to do and, and live that life surrendered to him. So those are some of the effects to, of sin, and most of us, how many of you have, have experienced side effects of sin? Just raise your hand. If you're not paying attention, just raise your hand anyway, because it's true. <laughs> now here's where the theology all comes back around, okay? Final point is like super exciting for me. I know I'm a little bit of a Bible geek because I get jazzed about this kind of stuff, but I think you will too. Because creation isn't one and done. Deism believes that there was a God who created the world and then spun it off into existence and is like, good luck with that. He's not that kind of God. And so we look at Colossians 1, verse 16. And uh, notice what this says. For by him all things were, say the word, created both in the heavens and earth, we know that, visible and invisible, and understand there is a spiritual reality you and I don't even see. He created that too. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, say the word, oh, I'm sorry, been, say created, through him and for him. And here's the great thing. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Go to the Greek, all things hold together, and he continues to hold them together. You know why the world doesn't just blow apart and boom? Because God is holding it together. You know when you feel like you can't take it anymore and life is just going to explode? God is holding you together because he created you, he loves you, and just like he gave redemption to Adam and Eve from the moment they fell, he wants to hold you together and be there for you even when you think it is going to all fall apart. He's that kind of God. 
Colossians 3, verse 10. Put on the new self, say new self. Who is being, say renewed. That's a creating kind of word. Being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who, say it, created him. God is a creator. It's not one and done because he is renewing you. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, when we dunk people in the water, it is saying I am dead to an old life of Christ. I'm resurrected to a new life. And it is not just being new once. It is a constant ongoing process. God the creator continues, get this, he continues his creative and recreative work in you. Romans 12, 2. How many of you? Ah, don't raise your hand. You can just think about it. A bunch of you, most of us, don't think all that great. We don't have the right thoughts about God. We downsize Him. We don't have the right thoughts about us. We either make too much of us or too little of us. We don't think right about the past or the present or the future, I mean, about other people. I mean, our thought life, and I've preached about this many times, our thought life is a place where most of life is won or lost. It is the biggest battlefield that God has to accomplish his will. And Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world. How do you not be conformed to this world? Be transformed. That word transformed is morphed Morpheo, okay? That, that word is, you know, transformers, how, you know, the cattle, they still make those with the kids' toys. You know, you just take a, a car and turn it into a robot, okay? It's transformed. He's taking you from one creature to a new creature, transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God, the creator of the universe, who said, let there be light, can say to your thoughts that you were told you weren't good enough, you were told how negative and bad things were, he can say to your mind, let there be hope. He can say to your mind, let there be grace. He can say to your anxious heart, let there be peace. Because he is a creator who continues his creative work in us and through us. And I won't ask for a show of hands on this for sure. But some of you, all of us have sin, if we look at it right, is a shame to us. But we kind of rank our sin and we have really big ones. Most of our sin we get away with, Amen. Okay, 90% of you just got away with lying, all right? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to re-ask that. Most of us get away with most of our sin. But you know those really big ones? Can you imagine what it would be like to have the reputation in Scripture that you are a person after God's own heart? Wow. Can you imagine having written part of the Bible? Can you imagine that God came to you through a prophet who said God has handpicked you to be the king of his chosen people, his nation? I'm talking David. And then can you imagine the humility of that, the honor of that? And then can you imagine how you would feel, how dirty and ashamed and grievous you would feel when you remembered how you went out on the top of your penthouse, apartment, terrace, and looked out and saw a woman named Bathsheba 
You gave in to your lust. Like James 1 tells us, your lust led to sin. And you had an affair with her and she got pregnant. And then to cover that up, you ever try to cover up your sin? Of course you have. And to cover it up, then you arrange for her husband to put on a place in the battlefield where he was killed. Can you imagine how horrible David would feel? Sure you can. Because you've done that kind of stuff in your life. Maybe people didn't know about it. Maybe they didn't get written about it for thousands of years we read since. But you know what it's like when you feel that horrible, dirty, ashamed of yourself person. And we can understand then why David wrote this. Because he wrote Psalm 51 in response to his sin finally being exposed by the prophet. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And if God was a one and done creator, there would be no room for that prayer. But he's not. He is continually holding the world together. He creates and he recreates. And David could say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. I, I don't have nowhere else to turn. God, help me. And you know what that God's response is? Compassionate grace and forgiveness. Because after all, moments after Adam and Eve sinned, he's working out redemption. He would say to David, I forgive you. I'll not remove all the practical consequences, but I will forgive you and I will create that clean heart in you once again. And he can do that for you. And he can cleanse you of that guilt. You can leave that behind and all that shame. And what's exciting is 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, all things become new. And if you go into the original language, it means old things passed away and continue to pass away. All things become new and continue to become new. How many of you are still a work in process? Not there yet. All right, that verse says, it's okay, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this. And why? Because we have a God who didn't just one and done. We have a God who said, I created this creation. I love them. I know what they're like. I know that they are prone to wander. I know that they can fall. I'm going to be there to recreate, to restore, to create a clean heart. I'm going to be there for them time and time and time again until someday this creator God in Isaiah 65 says what he says in Revelation, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come back to mind. Next verse. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Do you believe he's going to make a new heaven, new earth? Of course I do. It's the end of the Bible. Why? Because the start of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A do-over is nothing for him. And it is all of my hope and my longing that someday I will be with him for forever. And so I want to speak to you. You've been following the Lord a long time. God still has something new to create for you. He has new paths, new dreams, new opportunities, new visions. For those of you who feel mired in your sin and the shame, you feel so dirty and whatever, he can create in you a clean heart. For those of you that are dealing with the family pain like, like Adam and Eve must have, he can come alongside you and restore and renew and give you hope again. Because God is a creator God who is continuing that quality, that skill in his life until the day you die and until he finally decides on a new heaven and a new earth.